Open private channel. Hey, Rachel. Hey, Ryan. <laughs> uh, okay, we're still in the private channel, so we can say this to each mm -hmm. other. No one is going to hear this, no, but no, no, boy, no. was it's just this... between us. It's, it's just, just between, between us. us. Just between us. But, but, okay. I really love that line, "Yum yum" from Star Trek Discovery. I think it's really funny. And sexy. I know, Ryan. I know. I know. I, I, I hope no one knows. I don't hear. I hope no one hears that. I hope. I hope no one hears that. It's just okay. Since we're in private channel, let's talk about an episode of Star Trek Discovery while we're at it. Okay, is that okay with you, Rachel? Yeah. Yeah, that's okay with me. Okay, so so you're not worried about spoilers because you've seen the show already. Yes, yes I've watched oh. season four and oh, and we're talking about the second episode oh, yeah. of season four. Oh god, yeah. But like we're getting ready to do our rewatch mm -hmm, mm -hmm. podcast where we uh, where yeah. we will talk about this. Yeah. Okay. So from my understanding, uh, yeah, season four, episode two, coming in at a 5.3 on IMDb, Rachel. So pretty stellar, according to the general masses. And the plot on IMDb goes as such. Saru returns to help the USS Enterprise, uh, Enterprise, far out I wish, Discovery, uncover the mystery of an unusually destructive new force. As Burnham leads the crew, she must also find a way to help Book cope with unimaginable, unimaginable loss. So here we are, Back in the land of Star Trek Discovery yet again, and we're in that opening section of the season in which you are getting comfortable with what the ride is going to be. And so there are usually leeways you give to this. This is going into my history with the episode. When I was first viewing it, I was just, okay, I'm along for the ride. I'm not really particularly enjoying it or hating it i was just okay where are we going what's the goal here oh more of the universe ending threat type of deal uh like the last one which i've already forgotten uh kobayashi maru this is yet another one in which we might might may as well have just done this as a first time viewing podcast yeah. because yeah this is this one, more so than the previous, was all new information to me. Like oh, I knew that I these things happened, but I, yeah. I, in a way, none of it stuck. I like, was just like, like, oh yeah, this feels familiar. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't remember this really, but it feels familiar. Right? There's things that I know, like the themes and the ongoing arcs that they're putting through and such and such with, with Grey's body and Book's trauma and... Now it moves, the DNA is capable of moving in certain directions of its own free will. It's self-driving. It's self-driving. Those are things I know happen in the season, but this, this anomaly, uh, none of it, none of it is in my brain. I just watched it and it's already slipping. It's already fading away. I'm looking at my, I'm, I'm like, 
looking at my notes and going, "Oh yeah, that did happen, didn't it?" Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was weird that Tilly said the word swagger in this. It was a little, what little weird. Mount Everest is too. Oh yeah, and ha- oh yeah, they did a lot of. Oh yes, you're an alien. You don't understand that. Let me explain it to you. Uh, they did a bunch of that, but no, this was again static noise. That's been my relationship with it. What yeah. about you? Yeah, I look forward to never watching this again. Once again, we have a nufty. A nufty. The uh, iconic Australian phrase, nufty. Will you explain that? You don't need to. We're in a private channel. I'm Australian. Yeah, you I know what it. you're saying. You get it. I'm nodding. I'm nodding, which is also a term that we use in Australia. Nodding. I'm, I'm shaking my head up and down going, yeah, nufty. This is a nufty episode. So what was it like to come back here, see this one again? Almost as if it's the first just time. Just boring. It was just dull. It wasn't offensive. It didn't make me angry. It didn't feel as packed as the last episode did. Mm. And I remember being like, okay. Like on the first watch, I was like, oh, they're slowing things down a little bit. Mm. They're, they're taking some time to explain things and not just in expo dumps yeah but then the expo dumps are still there they're still there they're just a little bit more scattered oh oh yeah um i felt tired after watching it and i pinpointed why it is in star trek you have allegories, themes, and metaphors that are being explored within a sci-fi plot, and also character stories within a sci-fi plot. That's actually one of the things I praise Strange New Worlds for achieving, is they will tell you a sci-fi plot, even if it is bulk stock standard, that is comprehensible. You understand it from beginning, middle, to end, and they pair it. That's not something that it particularly fails at so far. and And they pair it with all of the ability to tell a metaphor or an allegory or theme or an arc. But there's a story there. There's a story there that you understand and are invested in, even if it is at the basic level of, I know what this is going to be. Star Trek is done, does this all the time. And why I was tired after viewing this one, Anomaly, is I could not grasp, and it's not because it's complex, it's because it's so slight, could not grasp onto the machinations of the plot itself, of the sci-fi plot, of the plot of the episode. This was, all of it is about telling us themes and arcs and metaphors and motifs and all of that stuff. And it was just, I may as well have been listening to the writer explain the things they want to explore in that way throughout the season instead of watching this episode. Because... There is no real story here for me. And the interview would have provided basically the same experience. An interview with one of the writers telling me what they want to do in the season coming up was would have been maybe perhaps more beneficial to me than sitting down and watching this. That's why I was so tired is because my brain is trying to 
focus in on this blurry image that is the so-called story of Anomaly, but it never went into focus. Uh, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I, I didn't try and do that work for it. I just let it wash on by. And I mm. just kept on thinking, it's the last time that I'll have to watch this episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But does it not... Uh, well, how do you go as a viewer? Because I'm talking about this as if it's an objective quality that every viewer should have. But this is me personally. Like, I like having a narrative that is a sci-fi thing in my sci-fi show that uh, manages to bring all of those things in. But sometimes in a show, you have episodes that are just yeah. look at us uh, pontificate and stroke our chin and wax lyrically about our characters and their journeys and arcs and the themes yeah. and metaphors that we're going through. Yeah. But I don't want anything from Star Trek Discovery. I want it to not exist in my life anymore. <laughs> so I don't, at, the, at this stage, I don't, I don't care enough to think about it in that way. I'm just like, things are happening and mm. they're boring. And oh, oh, there's a theme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, can you be a little less heavy-handed when you whack me over the head with it, please? How life is just a blink, huh? It is one heartbeat in the entire lifespan of the universe. I don't really think I understood that before. How we choose to spend our moments and just what time that we have matters. You are displeased when you watch this, but I I, I want to know which, and I know you're going to, you may just answer like it doesn't matter, but I'm curious of when you are viewing this, mm-hmm. is it better or worse when you have episodes that don't even try to convey a story in a, in a manner that these shows usually do? Like, this doesn't have a story to us, really. Do you? Uh, do you, does that do, matter? It doesn't. It doesn't. So it does have uh, a structure of sorts. Like the mission is the backbone of the episode, and it's book being like they figure this out that they need. They're gonna. They have to go into the anomaly and collect data. It's like that's the complication, right? Mm -hmm. And then the further complication is that Book needs to be the one to do it, but he's not mentally sound at the moment. Mm -hmm. And then they face the challenges inside the anomaly, Mm -hmm. but they escape and things are... Like, everybody's returned safely, but it's slightly different than what it was in the mm. beginning because Book now acknowledges the pain that he's in rather than... Repressing. Be- yeah. And-, and now we know more about the threats. You're right. It does have those uh, things. It moves the needle a little bit. But that structure that I just outlined, that description... It doesn't fit into the five-act structure of traditional television. It doesn't fit really into a three-act structure of broader 
narratives. It's like there there is a beginning, middle, and an end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the journey doesn't actually follow the processes that you would expect. It's all on. It's very underbaked in a lot of ways, mm. and and. We we mentioned we talked about this in our discussion in our Babylon Five coverage of the episode TKO, in which you gave me the rundown of what the A plot was about. You just did what you just did now, where you told me the beats, you said all of that stuff, and I replied back to you, "Wow, did you write the script? Because that was as interesting you just saying it out loud as watching the episode itself." AKA saying the episode didn't tell a story well enough outside of how you can just machine gun fire through anything. Cause you could read out Spock's brain and what happens there. And you could see, say, no, see, it is a good episode because here's the plot of it. No, that doesn't mean anything. You can say this is what happened in anomaly, but it doesn't, the room has a plot. Yeah. The room has a plot. You can surmise things, right? And you know what I'm saying here with this, where you're right. It yeah. does have these and it only raising matters stakes. that I understand it because mm. we're in a private channel. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, it's a private channel. Uh, hey, hey, Rachel, it's a private channel. Um, and uh, we're in a dire crisis right now, but it's a, pri- it's a private channel. Uh, uh, but it doesn't rise above that synopsis. Uh, and yes, the episode is an episode and it tells a story because it has those things that does tick the boxes of certain script writing things, the inciting incident, the complication, the rising action, all of the midpoint, low points, all of that. But when you are watching television, Rachel, you know when you finish an episode if you actually got anything out of it. And a lot of the getting the thing out of it is... Did you go on an actual journey with the story told? Did you go on an actual journey with the story told here, or did you just learn facts? Um, I feel uncomfortable saying that I even learned facts because that suggests some level of retention. And I don't think I'll retain much of the information other than, you know, like... Oh, this is the episode where Book admits that, you know, losing his family and his whole fucking planet is really sad. Is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um and they learn that the anomaly can change direction. But they haven't yet pieced together that that means that somebody is directing it. Mm. Mm-hmm. And there, as I suppose, I might remember that they're setting up even more that Hugh is the counselor. Mm. But by the time that we get to the end of the season, it will all be mushed together with everything well, we, else. We, we didn't remember any of this when we were re- revisited it today. No, I'll give Discovery this in the past. Their episodes were better defined as individual things. Distinct from each other. Distinct. There were still ones like this where you completely forget or they blurred together. But, like, remember Lethe, the one where Sarek was uh, injured in the middle of space? They had to go find him. They made an artificial mind meld, and then they got in his brain, and he has having 
daughter issues because of all this crap. I remember that episode, even if it was just basically because it was yellow the whole time. I remembered it. I don't like it, but I remember it. And it was not just because they gave me facts that I remember, because that's all this is to me, is it's facts, whether it is logistical facts or facts about like the oh, universe but, but or law Ryan, Ryan, or if sorry, it's sorry, facts sorry, about sorry. like what arcs and what personal conflicts and interpersonal crises we're going to be delving into i need more than that i need to feel something other than tedium we need to take all of this back okay why because grudge doesn't like hollows oh well that was mentioned she, she can't smell them. Threading the needle, and and thank God she can't smell Paul. He stinks, really stinks. Stinks of what? What's that? What's that? Weak acting. That's what he stinks of. I was really unimpressed with uh, his acting in this episode. Uh, really unimpressed. I don't. It just have a feels specific... like he doesn't want to be there, but We've he doesn't want to in... get fired. Well, it's kind of difficult because since season two, his character hasn't been wanting to be on the Discovery, but has been forced to be on there. And so from an acting perspective, you could argue that he's keeping true to that, but it isn't <laughs> engaging. And then we have Tilly in this episode who's also doing that, where Tilly doesn't want to be here either. And so you get a lot of characters who don't want to be here. And it's kind of a drag to watch. Things just don't feel the same way that they used to. Like, I don't know, something's off or um, I'm off. Uh, I don't know, I was kind of hoping that we could talk about it sometime. Like, talk, talk, like, uh, professionally. Discovery in its fourth season, like in every season, keeps adding things. Where in the future, flamethrowers. The flamethrowers are <laughs> a great example of a thing they added that even the hardcore fans have ridiculed, like they did with the new uniforms at the end of last season. The the flamethrowers. That's not where you were going. No, 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 but... no, no. But I wanted to go there too. The flamethrowers is. Is is the new sparks where they're inexplicably just happening all the time, all the and time in the, in the same spot because you know oh, and it's synchronized, a lot of effort and, and synchronized and synchronized <laughs> it's a lot of effort to set up flamethrowers. Yeah, yeah, and you can read the goofs for this episode. They talk about it, and everyone talks about it. It's unnatural. What the flamethrowers happen every time they get hit, even with force fields on. So what? And they come out at. Intervals. You can time the breaks between each burst of flames and they happen all at the same time. It's unnatural. It does look like a stage production version of of this, right? Where in stage shows you have your little cool stage pyrotechnics and you have to have them go off at certain times because you're trying to synchronize not getting anyone hurt. But in a TV show, you can do that, but you have to cover it up and move it around and editing and 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 timing oh and you can change things oh boy, around. Oh boy, do they edit this episode though. <laughs> um oh, yeah. I I started out writing notes and then it was just making me sad so I stopped. Um my pen refused to write anymore. You you enjoy the process of writing notes whereas it I helps f- me remember. I find that it just makes me more frustrated. Um but 
one of like the three things that I noted down. I was like, oh, good for them. They bought some extra plugins. Yep, yep. They bought some extra. No, yeah, some plugins for editing, but then plugins yeah, and, and they bought some, some transitions and oh, some yeah. templates and sound effects and sound oh, effects. Oh boy, do they edit the fuck out of this? Well, this is a classic case of, and we see some of the really bad Discovery episodes do this in comparison to some of the better ones. They edit it more because there's less to work with. So they're making up for the little they have. If we are dazzled by the crossfades and the spin zooms and all of this oh. lens flaring and the music, it will distract us from the minimal quality we have or the minimum or the minimal quantity we have here. Because this episode is needlessly complicated, not because of the script, but because of the direction and editing. I had a hard time keeping track of who was where and what was happening and why things were happening because of the visual presentation rather than the actual script. Because as you said, you could break it down and it makes sense. But you're watching the thing. It's the execution and and, and the flamethrowers. I can't believe (laughs) they introduced these. Are they not embarrassed? No, no. You know what it is? They really think it's cool. Sheer fucking hubris. They really think it's cool. Last episode, I was talking about how this show made me feel like this was for dorks, nerds, and losers. This one didn't make me feel that as much. It made me feel as, oh, they're trying to make it really cool again with the flamethrowers, which were their last episode, but they were more prevalent here. Uh, the zero-G sequence was um, ambitious. On paper, yeah. I could see why this would work. And I was just like, uh, okay, okay. This is relatively well executed. Like... Mm, I don't agree. It was pretty piss poor. Oh, I I thought Mm-mm. considering how much they were trying to do, it wasn't... Okay, okay. You're not going to win me over with this. No, no, no. This was the yum yum moment of the episode, by the way. Yes. Yes. Yes, it was. Fucking ridiculous. <laughs> I was expecting it to be worse. That's that's it. I was expecting mm. it to look and feel even worse. It was worse for me on this watch because I noticed a specific thing that I didn't notice on the first viewing. And I uh-huh. know that I didn't notice it because I would have remembered it because it's so striking. And you should actually have a look over this again after we record. Look at the scene again. Most of them, not all of them, but most of the actors are doing modeling poses while they're floating in the air. Oh, yeah. Detma Detma specifically, why are you trying to look hot while you do this? It makes it look more ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And you know what it does? It does what I call the good place effect, where in the good place, season three, they decided to set it in Australia, and most of the characters who were Australian weren't. They were Americans or English people doing Aussie accents. But then they would have one or two people who were Aussies, and they stuck out like a sore thumb because they didn't match the fake Australian Mm -hmm. accents of the other cast members, so they stuck out. This is that in which you have, let's just be generous and say 70% of the people on the ship are doing model poses. It makes the other 30% that are reacting 
somewhat naturalistically look like idiots. Yeah. They look like fuck. Michael, she's reacting naturalistically, but since she's right next to Detna, who's posing like a sexy model, it made Michael look like a fucking dope. She looks yeah. stupid. Yeah. And Saru's doing his modelly poses too. And then meanwhile, you got Bryce and he's freaking out. like, and it, it makes those who are reacting to it as if this is realistic. Because if you were thrown suddenly into zero G, you wouldn't be having your hand on the back of your head, pursing your lips and trying not to blink. You wouldn't be looking like that. You'd be like Michael going, whoa, what the fuck? And, yeah. you know, having facial expressions all over the place and wiggling around. But it made it stand out because... Most of them aren't doing that. Most of them are gloriously posing like, isn't this cool? Again, mm-hmm. is a zero G... Okay, tell me this. Tell me this. What is the thought process behind having the zero G sequence to you? What is the thought process? Like, what is it? This looks cool. So you think it is, this looks cool, not this would be funny? No. See, that's the debate I'm having. I a part it, of me thinks it's supposed to be, wouldn't this be cool? No, no, but then no. A part so, of so me is the like, actual this is... zero G, but the way that the the actual like being frozen part mm-hmm. is, this is meant to look cool. Uh-huh. Them dealing with it is, haha, isn't this a funny inconvenience of being in space? See, I, I don't get that myself. I understand that thought process, but as I'm viewing it, because of the weird uh, execution of it, I look at it and I go, on paper, in my brain, I can see that they think this would be a cool sequence, but it comes across as it's supposed to be very funny. And there's a conflict there that isn't being resolved. So I look at it and I see a failure. A failure of an Mm. idea that could have worked better. If they leaned into it actually being cool as an idea or leaning into it being far sillier go one way or the other, but to me it's in this weird middle zone where it's kind of being both and it's failing at both. Now, to get back well, to... Well, it fails at everything, in my opinion, so... Thank you, Rachel. Sorry, but... Sorry, you... sorry. You are... You're not sorry. Don't say that. No, no. Lying's a sin, isn't it? <laughs> this show's about faith, by the way. Yeah, no. That's one I, of the themes. I wanted to qualify that because you like it when I respond to what you say. Like, it's true. We're having a conversation. Like, I, I, I know. Mm-hmm. I, I know. But, like, you know, this, this, is, this is our private chat. So. This is our private uh, channel. Finally, let's get to the private channel. Uh, what was your reaction to it? Because that's another decision oh. that has now been made in the show. This Fucking is a new ridiculous. thing. ridiculous. Fucking ridiculous. Explain to me why. Get smart. Yeah, I'm getting smart. That that's that's it. Like you can't do a cone of silence seriously. Yeah, the cone of silence was stupid for a reason. It's fucking stupid. Just because you do it in a fucking bubble instead of a cone with CGI in 2021, it doesn't make it any less fucking stupid. Okay, but could you kind of expand upon, like, what aspects of it make it silly for you and stupid? Oh, just the idea and the treatment of it. Like, 
we see plenty of times where they're doing like one-on-one conversations through their like intercom system, mm-hmm. and it's just like nothing in this conversation is that private either. Mm. So it's just like you you just wanted to create a false sense of intimacy between the two of them, I guess, that it's like mm-hmm. she's in this bubble on the bridge. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, to follow that, what does Star Trek usually do in this scenario? What is the usual course of action a captain would take? In this moment, what would what would what would, what would Picard do if he wanted to have a private meeting or private conversation with somebody? What's his first course of action? Well, what's coming to mind is go to the ready room. Oh, oh, oh yeah, the ready. You mean the ready room <laughs> that she just used in two scenes ago, and using it as a holodeck? Yeah, obviously. For fuck's sake, it's 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 what makes it silly is, one, visually it looks silly, and it's awkward to have a whole crew of people around this person who's talking to themselves in a bubble. It's one of those things where there's a disconnect there. It's just so weirdly awkward that she's having this intense conversation and all you're thinking of is what they see. They see this woman sitting in her captain's chair, passionately giving a speech, tearing up, and what they see is her doing that in complete silence. It's very weird. It's very awkward. It doesn't work. But it's funny. Nobody lip read. No, no, don't lip read. Don't you lip read. Don't you dare, Saru. You know many languages, including lip reading. So don't (laughs) you dare, bro. Don't you fucking dare. That's why he's behind her. But, uh... The other thing that makes it really uh, unfortunate is it is, as an idea, inherently undermines the authority and leadership of the person who uses it. Because there's this awkward thing in which it it feels very humiliating to me to see a captain have to do a cone of silence in amongst a room of people. The reason that you have the other versions where it's like, okay, I'll take this into my ready room. If it's that serious, you as a professional will take it somewhere else. Do and it you can in a easily private do... situation. And it's not a private channel, private situation. Not a private channel in front of everybody. It just makes the character look inherently weak because they're all seeing her there emotionally breaking up over this. A part of the thing is the crew shouldn't need to see that of their captain either. Not all the time, and especially not here. Because one of the core conflicts of the episode is... But Michael's learning about leadership. No. So this failure Mm -hmm. is actually a part of her journey. But you know what I'm getting at here. I know. Where, I I mean, how do you feel about that? I mean, that's a part of what you see too here, right? Yeah, it's fucking ridiculous. It's not just ridiculous. It's just one of those byproducts that you know that the writers didn't think about. The writers just didn't think that this would make the character look foolish, weak, insecure, and weirdly an unprofessional and, and bad leader. Now, you could argue that it shouldn't, but it does. 
there's a decorum, there's a, a kind of atmosphere that comes along with leadership, whether it be military or otherwise. Uh, it just feels very messy and unprofessional. And, uh, you know, just take it to the ready room. Just take it to the ready room. That's all you need. That's all you need to do. And it, and it communicates the same message. But no, we've got to have this cool thing because that's what Discovery is about. It's about having this cool idea. And does a cool idea undermine other ideas? Yes, it does. I, I couldn't help but think about Janeway where I think about how they would never do this to Janeway. You know, they would make Janeway vulnerable, they would make Janeway have emotions in front of the crew, but a large part of Janeway's command was not having those vulnerabilities in front of her entire crew. She would share them personally one-on-one with Chakotay or Tuvok or, or, or Tom Paris on the occasion, right? But... Here, I just I just couldn't help but think about Janeway, and I'm like, Janeway wouldn't use a fucking cone of silence. Janeway would walk into a fucking big ready room, a huge ready room that could fit a football field in there for some reason, and she would talk in there. And I was thinking about Picard, Cisco, all of them, and it just... <sighs> private. And then a part of the joke that we laughed at. It wasn't a joke, but it was just such a weird delivery. We have this scene... Bryce, private channel, bubble peers, the audience is processing that there's this bubble now, and then, I don't know what it was, Sonequa Martin-Green, I don't know what direction she had, but she's supposed to be, like, in this serious conversation, I guess she's trying to lighten the mood, or or kind of come across as personable. And she yeah, because she's switching to partner mode, not yeah, captain yeah, mode. Uh, yeah, and, and she just kind of leans in her seat forward, and the line delivery was really funny, where it's like, Bryce, private channel, bubble. Hey, book. And it, it I'm not weird. here to startle you, honey. I'm definitely not cornering you. It was weirdly too casual, and it felt as if they were having a mor- Monday morning brunch. Hey, book. How's your weekend? What's that grudge? Oh, mm-hmm. man, isn't that cat See, a wild one? It just oh, felt brother. more like she was talking to a child. To me. No, that's how she sees Book. Mm. I mean, that's how I see him, too. I thought he was a little baby in this episode. Boo-hoo, get over it, Book. Now I'm kidding. I know. It's been two days. It's been two days, Book. Get 48 over- hours. It's been two days, Book. The events of season two of Discovery happened like three days ago for the Discovery crew, and they got over it. They're fine now. I'm kidding, of course. It's been five months. We know this because they mention it's been five months since the end of the burn and the problems between Book and uh, Stamets. Uh, I like that they also point at how uh, they did exactly what I said when we had Julio on, where Julio was like, oh, what are they going to do? With Stamets and Michael's conflict. And I just said, they're going to resolve nothing. it off screen and it will be nothing. And that's what they did in this episode. He makes a joke about it. And they're like, oh, that was a bit in poor taste. And he's like, oh, it was meant to be funny. Because we've gotten over it. We moved on. That was five months ago. I fucking nailed it. There's just some of these ongoing dramas where they set them up just to immediately wipe them off the board. Why bother? Like something has to happen. Because you have to generate conversation between the seasons. That's the real reason why it exists. Rather than actually following through, you generate the buzz 
with these hanging things. And then you start the new season. You're not actually interested in following those up. Wipe them off the board. We had a magical five months away, like how Michael had a magical year away with book where you can make anything happen in that between time. And the audience will have to accept it at face value because we weren't there for it. You want to send the only two people who can operate the spore drive together into the accretion cloud of an unknown astrophysical entity? You might as well blow me out an airlock. Oh. Too soon. Probably too soon. But still, it's madness. So, Grey's gonna incorporate soon. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That's fun. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. We get a Picard mic drop. Remember Star Trek Picard season one? Everybody loved it so much. Yeah. That's why they kicked most of the showrunners off of it and tried to course correct in season two, and then they continued to actually do the same thing over again. Uh, okay, Gray and Adira have a storyline. What's happening here? What's going on with Gray and Adira, these two important characters? Mm, yes. So, like I said, Gray's going to incorporate soon, which means he's getting a synth body that the Triller making for him. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene with Hugh where uh-huh. they're reviewing the body and they decide to get rid of a mole. Mm-hmm. Um that I don't remember ever noticing before. Oh, it's because it wasn't there. <laughs> probably. Um No, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> they came up with it now. Yep. Yeah. Um Remember, it's... remember, Adira is an art genius. Yeah, her um, math things are art. Yeah, 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 yeah. Adira. Uh, um, but you're going. You're. you wanted me. Yeah, I know. I just want to know what this is. Like, what is this plot? Like, what are we watching here? You are watching them actually following following through on their promise to give Grey a body. And they're using newly formed cannon to do so with the synth body of Picard. Mm. And also kind of retroactively plugging holes in why this doesn't happen all the fucking time. Yes. So it's, yeah, as them following through, Hugh promised that he would find Grey a way to get a body. And and he did that yeah. off screen. Off screen. Awesome. The Trill are capable of this. This is fine. Could have been a whole storyline for Hugh, but it, whatever, did it off screen. We know that Hugh is a tech genius. Off you, screen. Off screen. You mentioned the artificial mind melt. Uh-huh. Off screen. Which was Hugh's invention. I love all of Hugh's stuff that happens off screen. Mm. I'd like, you know what, guys? Uh, writers, I know you listen to this. Uh, tap into this one. Tap into this. No, uh, no, this could is a you, private could, channel. This, oh, sorry, sorry. Don't hack in, guys. Don't you fucking hack in. In fact, if you listen, if these things happen next season, we know, we know that you managed to hack into our private channel, and that's not allowed. Okay, I won't allow it. Uh, what I was going to say is, put. All of this amazing character stuff and things that Hugh does in the off screen and put it on the on screen. Put it in the screen. Let me see it, please. No. I honestly thought no, going into the season, not 
not happening. I genuinely thought going into the season that, that Gray Ryan... would not wait. That wait. That Gray would not even get to this point until near the end oh. of the season. <laughs> yeah. Because you have to stretch it out. But oh, no, they, instead the they're doing the other no, where no, they're no. rushing. It's no. It's either yeah. stretch or rush. It's never the right amount. They want to get to that long distance relationship when you know the actor wants to get off the show. <laughs> No, it's not even that. I was like, anything's long distance once you're no longer in the same body. Yeah, when you no longer have a dead ghost lover. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he um, knows, and you know, you knows what that's like. Oh, brother. Oh, boy. So, and Adira is feeling a bit conflicted about the fact that you know things are going to change soon, and Gray is going to have independence, autonomy. Free will. And won't need them in the same way mm. that they do now. And, you know, that that change, even though expected and welcome, is scary. Yeah. And that's the idea of the story. Uh, there's no story there, though. No. It is... Hey, look, off they screen. They say those no, no, no. things. It's, hey, look, off screen, I, Hugh Culper, have found the solution. Uh, now, you guys hinted at these things that Rachel just said, and we'll seed it now, and we'll kind of maybe develop and follow it through as the season goes along, and have lines of dialogue at each other until we decide we've had enough now and end that storyline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, there's no story here. No. There's no developing Grey as an individual character. There's Grey wants a body. Yeah, we know that. Grey's going to get a body. Grey may want to do these things when they come back to life. Oh, okay. Grey is supportive of Adira. We know that already. Give me something new. That isn't just lore and world building and exposition. Give me character stuff. And I do appreciate that Adira is given character stuff with more of a show don't mm-hmm. tell approach. Now there is still telling, but a lot of it is on the on the shoulders of the actor to emote their things. And they do it a bit too much for my personal liking. Too much of the I don't know how to describe it in audio, but too much of the sudden neck stiff at the back and chin going into the throat and then kind of a pecking forward motion from the actor, they do that way too much for my personal taste, but it does communicate a point. All of that stuff that you mentioned, the inner conflict and all of this stuff, is most mostly in this communicated through the actor's ability rather than the script going through yeah. all of the motions. The scenes are too short for anything else. You nailed it. The scenes are too short to do anything else. Uh, what do you think about uh, Adira and Grey here? I don't care about them. I don't care for the way that Star Trek Discovery does relationship drama because it's always turbulence for turbulence's sake. If a couple starts together, they stay together. Like Unless you're Ash, Tyler. Yeah, like, but they didn't start off in a a relationship in a season. 
they had a relationship during a season, which feels very different the way that they treat it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was supposedly a rape victim. Oh, don't. Let's not open that can of worms and, again, shall we? No, but like I that. Just, it was no, manipulative. No, no, no. It was a yes. manipulative relationship. It, ma- manipulative, and it, but. And he like, was a sleeper agent, so. Yes. But I brought that up by way. Yeah, you brought that up, yeah, yeah. But specifically, the impact of trauma on those relationships. Because Ash has his storyline. Hugh has his when he's grappling with being being, alive again. Being alive, and they break up for a little bit, but then, you know, they get back together fairly quickly, and it's still like, yeah, whatever. Um, they're doing some kind of internal conflict in the relationship between Burnham and Book. And we know that they'll be expanded upon as the season goes along, and it'll be similar to Ash, where it disintegrates slowly but surely. But hey, they've still got a a friendly enough rapport, but really they're not a healthy couple. No. You know what it is that really grinds my gears with this is they don't know as writers ever – to write for couples that are healthy and happy. And no, if they do have those, wait, wait. if they do have those, they don't let them do anything together. Hugh and Paul at this moment in time are in a healthy, happy relationship. Do we spend any much time with them as a couple doing things together in storylines? Not really. You get just scenes like the, you do in this yeah, episode where Hugh is there to smile and nod and, and give there, exposition. They are both there doing their jobs as Starfleet officers, mm-hmm. not them being people. They need more than just having the people in a healthy relationship say to each other, you are the best. I am a supportive partner. More than I that. acknowledge more your than that. strength. The the Adira Gray stuff I also don't care about. And uh it's because by at this point I'm four seasons in and I've seen this tango done already. With Hugh and Paul and Ash and Michael and Book and Michael, where it's just relationship drama, relationship drama. And I wrote in my notes It has no weight to it, and it's one Mm. of the things that they really go ham with mm-hmm. all of the tools that they have, like the music, the editing, the close-ups, all of the decisions try and add heft mm-hmm. to the relationship drama. And it's just like, no, no, you are trying way too hard and you've done none of the back work to make me invested in these characters and now you're trying to use all these visual and audio cues to make me think that I care about what's going on when there's nothing to either of these characters. And Mm. then it's even worse when they do the drama with Book and Stamets. Oh, yeah... I, when watching that final scene on the bed with Adira and Grey, the one note I wrote, I can't tell you even what the scene was about, but what I wrote was, what am I watching? 
And the answer is Star Trek Discovery. That's what I'm watching. And not mm-hmm. just literally. This is a core fundamental part of Star Trek Discovery. And we talk about this throughout our discussions here and in our Patreon-exclusive episodes on Strange New Worlds, that there are some elements of modern Star Trek that are just going to stay. The, the aesthetics are going to stay. The lens flares are staying. Some of these writing things are staying. It's just a part of it. And a part of it for Discovery is this romance or relationship troubles and uh, tension building and drama. That's just a part of it. And I struggle with it a lot because, yes, there are these things in other Star Trek shows, but realistically they're not ever a core fundamental part of them the way they are here. But if you were watching something like Grey's Anatomy and you were having this scene, Mm -hmm. you would accept it because a part of the core fundamentals of the shows that you like to watch, the the soap operas or the melodramas or the more uh, romance-inclined, like your Chesapeake Shores or your Grey's Anatomies or even the Australian series Offspring, Mm -hmm. you would accept this more because that's what you are buying it in for. That's why you are here. I want to give a specific example. The way that I expect say, Arizona and Callie to interact with each other in, 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 in Grey's, Grey's Anatomy um, because they go through periods of time of being together and broken up and uh, kind of then amicably divorced and co-parenting is very different than the way that Troy and Riker interact as exes. Right. Worlds apart. Worlds apart. And I'm a big fan of Desperate Housewives. And there's relationship dramas there with couples cheating on each other and covering up this and covering up that. And there's many stretches of that show in which I don't enjoy those things, but I know that's what this is. Like, I can appreciate and go, blah, but I'm still sitting there when I watch a Sex in the City episode and there's a plot line of this, blah, 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 where this relationship is having these troubles because the writer's wanting to spice up the drama and maybe there's a love triangle and all this stuff. And I could be disinterested in that, but I know that it's staying true to what I'm here for. I'm not here for, in Star Trek, to see Adira and Grey's woes. Other viewers are, evidently. I'm not. Hence, I'm coming back to... I need more of a, a grounded, a more of a well-constructed story. I'm here for a science fiction show, not a teen romance drama or a uh, or a, a, a melodrama, because you could remove a lot of the sci-fi aspects and make this a ghost love story. And I'm not watching those. I don't give a shit about those. It's like Doctor Who when Doctor Who came back. When I was a kid, a large part of my complaint was I didn't like David Tennant being the romantic-y doctor because I'm not here for that. Now, it worked for you. Yeah. It didn't work for me. I liked it when he was uh, when he had uh, Martha as a companion. I didn't like it when he had Martha as a companion as much because she was lovelorn for a guy that she would never get. Mm, I thought Donna it was, was much better. And I liked Donna because she was... Uh, see? 
it can work for some and not for others. That was like a large appeal. I would argue that's a major reason for why that series, the reboot, the the uh, reawakening of Doctor Who succeeded because it grew such a large devoted audience by drawing us in with those kind of romantic-y, romance-y, yes. plotty things. Not me, and evidently not you for Star Trek Discovery here. Nope. But I want to know from people who watch it, what do you get out of Adira and Grey? Like, their relationship, their romance troubles. What is it that you're getting? Because, to me, the biggest thing that is here is it is just cool to see, uh, uh, you know, a non-binary and trans uh, actors and characters going through a similar storyline that they would have for yeah. the straights. It's nice and to for, be... You know, for the heteros and all of that. And... <laughs> um, I did enjoy the... Reminder, I think it is. I can't remember if it is a reminder or a, the first affirmation that Grey as a character went through transition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't tell if they were being sci-fi-y about transition of going through the transition to become a Trill host or transition in the way of changing genders. Yeah. Because they've been very coy. Yeah. With Grey with that. And I don't know if it's been on purpose for allegorical senses or if they just didn't want to bring it up. I don't know. I'm not... But, like, I keep forgetting if they bring things up. It's like how yeah. many people keep forgetting that, that Hugh and Paul are not married. People assume they are. They go out of their way in season one to tell you they're not. But people forget mm-hmm. that because they... Why wouldn't they? It's been they? a while. It's why, been a while. And they, people go, why wouldn't they be? And same with, with Grey. Why wouldn't Grey just be a, a, a transsexual character in this show? A transgender character in this show? And it's a fair point. Why not? But it's weird that they keep kind of not saying it and kind of saying it. It's this weird little thing to... To me, at least. I'm like, I, I, I would like to know like more like what are the writer's intentions with the character. But that, again... They're not interested in that too much with Grey. Grey's just here to be here until the actor's contract ends and they can go away now. And we'll get to that as the season progresses. Oh boy, will we get to that when the season progresses. I'm really good at this, you know. But but being there for people, you always have been. Everyone's got to have their thing. We have the main mission, and uh, they go into the anomaly, and they being Stamets as a hologram. Oh, all of them go inside the anomaly in some way, and they send Book and Stamets further in. I think the main mission being that part. That's why I jumped. Oh, see, I find it too interconnected, not just because they have a literal tether, but also (laughs) because they keep ping-ponging back and forth where they get equal screen time and they are both dealing with major consequences of being inside of this fucking thing Mm. that I'm connecting them together. But you're right. Uh, What I was going to say is... Uh, a, a large swath of what I found more intriguing and more engaging in the discovery portion of the mission is not any of the consequences they're going through of, oh no, we're going to have to do this, and oh no, Michael, please help book in your private channel. It was Tilly. What did you think about revisiting this stuff with Tilly, where they're seeding and building up her internal struggles and lack of confidence because we know where they go yeah. with it. 
Yeah, I'm like, it feels like a weird sort of backslide of Tilly's character. And it, like, it matches what they do with all of the characters. Like... Oh, where they where they give up on the clear, clearly defined arc they have and then just yeah. kind of backpedal them and restart them or exit them? Them trying to justify why Saru doesn't take his own captaincy. <laughs> oh, man. Burnham being back at being reckless and pretending like she's being logical and level-headed. And Tilly feeling out of space out of place and Mm. like she's not sure of her abilities and her position within the crew. It's a trapdoor. This whole entire character thing is evidently a trapdoor because they must have known that the actor uh, of Tilly wasn't going to be able to commit doing a full season for whatever the reason. I don't know the full story. I haven't learned too much about it. I think they were involved in being a, in a play uh, that was taking up a lot of their commitment of time so they couldn't fit them in for the whole season. Whether they're going to be in season five fully as again as main character, but it seems as if there's a couple of things. Like, and we'll get there when she officially leaves the season, gets removed from the opening credits, but comes across as a trapdoor writer's move in which they learned ahead of time that they are not going to be able to write for this character anymore. So let's give them a quick rushed kind of character beat for why they will leave the show. And not only that, we have a new character that we can mold into being the new Tilly type with Adira, where Adira is the new Tilly. I mean, how did you notice that? Here, where they're clearly making them the new Tilly. How could you not? How could you not? Where they have this new characteristic that they didn't have last season? I mean, is it cynical? Or, or, or like, misguided? Or, or like, how do you feel about it? Because to me, it's, it's very cynical of... Shit, this character's over now. Yep. Replace them with another character that's pretty much them, but we're starting from the start again. Oh. Like, we're just going to watch Adira be Tilly from the start. Like, Tilly yeah. from the start of the show again. Yeah. Yeah, it's disappointing. It's boring. And talking about it is making me tired and cranky. Uh, you and I were fans of Tilly when we first watched this series. Uh, we liked her mainly in the first season, part of the second, and a part of the feels like it was a lifetime ago, so long ago. And uh, part of my enjoyment, I can't speak for you, Mm. was like Saru, she was very well defined of what her journey was going to be, Mm -hmm. and you could do so much with it. Yeah, but they weirdly hit fast forward on it. Yeah, last season, in the back half, they hit the fast-forward button by making her acting captain, and she fucked it up. Yeah, and, and then, but she, she gets a promotion for the way that she fucked it up. In the interim of the five months. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, 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 you're right. They they just kind of hit the fast-forward button. She's the lieutenant now? I can't keep track, honestly. Just make a fucking admiral by the end of the show. That would be awesome. Uh... 
I mean, Lance retires to spend time with his daughter that doesn't do math with numbers mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and Vance. eating a shit apple. Oh, gosh. I think they no longer have the shit apples now that they reconnected with everybody. Uh, I just wanted to highlight the Tilly thing now because I laughed at it a lot. Because mm. it's so... I was like, just move on. Just move on. It's... Hurry up and move on. Shuffle off. It's incredibly manufactured. You and I noticed it the first time round that, oh, they're going to make Tilly... Uh, Tilly's leave. going somewhere. We knew that... In a way, Tilly's going to be leaving the show because they're setting up this weird doubt in her yeah. that's, that's out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And they're doing it in a way that's hard to articulate, but in a way where you know they're not going to resolve they're it. Moving, they're moving pieces and you know that it's not in a way where it's going to become like a thing within the show. Mm -hmm. It feels like shuffling her off stage. In our last discussion, mm -hmm. we went over the plot where they visited the space station, they had to repair it, oh, wouldn't you know there's this anomaly, and there's this whole bit where it's like, that could have been the whole plot of the episode, they don't need all of this other stuff, you could just have this be the plot of the episode, and we would be satisfied, oh, wouldn't that be a fun plot, you could just do that as a normal plot, and off we go. They have a very similar thing here, there's, a, there's something within this that they don't really want to touch but it is there and i would have watched a whole episode of it which is yeah. michael we have only one person who can do the mission but it is your boyfriend who's going through an emotional trauma right now that could be the whole story of the conflict there the conflict of being the leader while being in a relationship with the person that you're sending on a death mission. We know this to be a good storyline because they did it in TNG with Jean-Luc Picard, where he fell in love with that Australian woman who taught him how to, like, then she loved music and all that, and he had to send her on a mission, and it was a risky one, and there was a whole conflict about getting in romantic entanglements with your co-workers and people who serve under you. That could be the whole story here. Would you say that is the story here or no? Because I no. really don't think it is. No. They use that, mm. but that's not the story. Why isn't it? And what do they do instead? Um, uh, instead, I guess you might say that it's it is more about Stamets and Book than Burnham and Book. Mm. They because Burnham as captain keeps on being like, I know that it makes sense, but it doesn't feel right and doesn't seem like it's right and everybody around her is like, no, nah, it's the right call. Yeah, dude, he's the you best. You know it. You know it. I fucking love Book. I haven't. I haven't seen him be traumatized for the last two days. But I. I, I don't. I mean, he's probably fine. Like, that was the thing that drove me crazy. Is she has physically what? seen what his trauma has looked like enough to make this judgment call? Nobody else has. No, he and, hasn't left. And like Saru isn't 
usually... He's just come back on board the ship. He doesn't even know. No, no, no. But he is usually an emotionally intelligent person. Oh, no, no. His ganglia fell off and that went away. Remember? He he physically evolved away from that character that we liked. Remember that? You're actually making a sad face because it's like you are remembering that. You're thinking about the first two seasons with Saru. Well, that was a thing. That was a, yeah, a literal I forgot, character trait. I forgot trait. how much they just straight up abandon it after his ganglia fall off because I thought it stood... He keeps it with Tilly the most. Yeah. But that's because he sees her as a part of himself. Like, you're like me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, He's... congratulations. I'm disappointed in a new way. A new shining way. But it is absolutely bananas to me, that conversation with Saru. It's like, look, Michael, I understand, but uh, he's probably fine. I I didn't get it because it's the one time I agreed with Michael's conflict as leader. Where I, I Again, this should be the whole episode. Michael is the commanding officer, the captain of this ship. He... He's on her ship, but he's not a Starfleet officer. He doesn't necessarily have to take her orders, but in a way, he kind of does because he's on board the ship, so he has to abide by something. How much and do you do? he doesn't want to disrespect her. Yeah, who has power? If, what is responsibility? Yes. What is leadership? How much do you leave the captain at the door when it comes to your relationship? Juicy. I'm salivating thinking about the alternative universe in which this was the script. Because it is there. Yeah. All the pieces are right there. But what they want to do instead with Michael is is tackle her character flaw in which she has a hard time letting go of her failures. And her failure here led to books, depression, and sadness. She sees it as her failure. If she saved those people in that space station, they could have figured out this and they could have stopped this. And book is having a similar process in which... If I somehow knew, I could have saved my family and got them free. But the irony is with him, like, there's no way he could have done that. And that's the exact same lesson that Michael is having to learn as well. And it's 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 the uh, uh, dramatic irony of character where Michael is dis- uh, dispensing uh, uh, platitudes and information onto him that she cannot do for herself. And by the end of the episode, they do it for each other. They both do it for each other. And you know what? Me saying it like this actually makes it sound pretty compelling. But it all is through the execution of Bryce, private channel. Hey, book, how's it going? Oh, what's that? Your entire race died two days ago? Pretty bummer, man. Either way, uh, we came up with a way to get out of there. Have you heard of kite surfing? Oh, man, it's pretty cool. You're just going to have to ride this one out, book. Do you get it? Hey, do you get the theme? Ride it out. You're going to just have to ride out this depression and you'll get back to normal. And then when Book uh, gets out, he has a very on-the-nose line about how he's finished riding it out. And he's like, I'm out now. I've broken free. And then what does Michael say? Book, come back home. Hmm? All very on-the-nose. Not at all subtle messaging and themes so instead of doing what we want 
which would be an interesting Star Trek episode. They're doing what they are doing instead, which could be interesting on its own if it was done in a far more uh, articulate and subtle way, less obvious and less goofy. Here's the thing that really drives me up the wall about it is just don't come in where you go, oh, and the solution is we do a space donut. Ooh, I love donuts. Yum, yum. Or, hey, it's like surfing. I do kite surfing. Hey, everybody, be like uh, this guy over here and have life-saving hobbies. Oh, boy. (laughs) Just have a a normal, plain, straight-laced solution that doesn't have an element of goofiness because there's a part of me that rolls my eyes when we're having this teary-eyed conversation with book about getting past the loss of his entire family and race, whilst also he's riding a wave like a kite surfing thing out of there. Don't you agree? There's kind of a dis like discombobulating thing there. Yeah, that is there, but also don't expect any different at this point. You want me to do what? Like kite surfing. If you hit it at just the right angle, it will carry your ship out. I'm flying blind. I'll tell you when. You just have to follow my mark exactly. We do not enjoy that relationship drama. Hmm. Is the drama between Stamets and Book and their non-existent friendship any better? Uh, Until this episode said that they had a conflict, I didn't know they had any conflict. The, the the start of this where Paul is worried and says that we don't get on and there's been weird bad blood between us. I was going, wait, what happened in season three? Mm. When was this plot like, thread started? Yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah. The, is this a the mystery? Jealousy of him being able to use the spore drive. And yeah. that was a miscommunication, and they're trying to do something. With I didn't that. get it. I didn't get it. Even now, after having watched the season, I completely forgot that this was a thing. And I'm sitting here looking at my TV screen, and they're saying these lines of dialogue, and I'm still going through the exact same thought process of wait, did they have beef in season three? Not that I remember. Huh. And then Paul theorizes it's because... No, no. Book theorizes it's because I took over your position and you've got a bruised ego. And then Paul's actually like, no, bro. Twist. It's actually the fact that you saved my family and it made me feel helpless. And now when I see you and you've lost yours, it makes me anxiety-filled because I don't want to be in that place. And uh, guys... You do this with so many other things. Build up to this. <laughs> you can't have uh, the the resolution to but a conflict that never existed they, to the audience they before. Brian, they do. They do set it up. Oh, oh in the... Stavitz is talking with Hugh before he goes there. He says, oh, in the last magical five months that the audience hasn't witnessed this. Uh, uh, okay. You know, the best of both worlds, the TNG double parter. I am familiar, yes. Now, could you imagine that we never saw any of that episode and all we saw was family and Deep Space Nine's uh, pilot, the emissary? You'd be like, guys, that sounds like a big fucking deal. Why didn't we ever see that? That's how I feel in minor way of... 
this feels like this would be a juicy thematic thing to explore and and something that could be rich for the actors to play with and for us to get involved with a pairing that we didn't even know that we cared about and instead they just don't do it and then somehow resolve something they didn't do in the episode and 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 pat themselves on the back for it this is possibly one of the biggest failures I've seen Star Trek Discovery do in the entire run. It wasn't wow. offensive, but like from a writing perspective, mm. this is not how you tell that story. Especially in a series that is all about being serialized, mm-hmm. this is not how you do this. Mm-hmm. Absolute fumbling of the ball here. It could have been so much better. If this was... and. It it could have been a lot worse. It really, it could have been a lot worse. But it's very discovery oh. in the way that it's bad. Like, they'd heightened up the melodrama or adjusted the acting in that kind of direction or, you know, used more obvious musical stings then that would have made it worse. But the way that they construct it and the mm. way that they present it is very in line with the themes and aims of Discovery. I often think I am a Discovery viewer, but obviously I'm not a fan. I'm not a diehard fan. I I personally don't think of myself as an actual hater of Discovery. I just find it a super frustrating show, but I do find it interesting I, I like I, I, I like you do hate it, and I like thinking about it and wanting to fix it. But a part of also Which is what why I, you're still forcing me mm-hmm. to do this podcast, and a part of my enjoyment too, or not so much enjoyment, but kind of thought exercise that makes me challenge myself as somebody who's critiquing and reviewing and just deconstructing a thing is what do the people who do love this get? And well, Ryan, you know what we. <laughs> That's a question that you should really ask outside of the private channel. Well, tough. We're in the private channel. You don't. If people you don't are hacking open in, it up? no, 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 okay. no, 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 no. God, no. I don't want the crew to see our weakness here. I want them to think that we don't like the yum yum line. So, what I was going to say is, there's moments in Discovery where I go, if I was a fan of this, this would be deeply unsatisfying to me. This would be deeply disappointing. And this is one of those where as if I was, I ask the fans of this series, and if I'm a fan of this series, would this be at all satisfying? And no, this has no buildup. There's nothing earned here. If you are just that type of viewer who will get emotional at an emotionally packed scene, then that's all it will be for you. But there is no momentum to it. Maybe there's some extra materials that go into those five months. I don't care. But you know what I'm saying here, right? No, but it feels like it's a rife rife with opportunities for that kind of bullshit. It could be rife for that opportunity those opportunities of bullshit, but not that what I'm aware of it's not so much yeah. but like if you were if you were a fan of this show wouldn't you think that there, this would be just a, a complete like farce to you because you are a fan of crappy shows. Yeah. Uh 
Yes, I and am. They, but you you have to admit they, they, they cut corners in ways where even you, a fan of crappy material or mm-hmm. a fan of certain questionable material, they when they cut a certain corner, like if they did he, like with this here, even you would be like, look, I'm not defending that. That's just some bullshit. Yeah, yeah. And like, yeah, keeping Chase and Abby apart in Chesapeake Shores indefinitely. So that you know they have somewhere to go in their last season because they can't just be happily together because they're the mm. underlying couple of the show. So he's just fucked off for an entire season. Mm-hmm. And we went over season two of Babylon Five. I know why Warren Keffer's there. I know why he's written the way he does, the way he is doesn't mean that I don't think it's fucking bullshit and I roll my eyes and it's a waste of my time. And I'm a diehard fan of that series and there's many moments in the show where even I go, oh, come on, really? A baseball diamond on Babylon 5? That's that's pushing my limits too much. And to me, this this reeks of that, where if you're a fan of this and you're really dedicated to the interpersonal conflicts or the minutiae of the characters... The writers don't care. This is what it, this is it. This is a classic example of the writers don't care as much as you do. Because if they did, they would have built up to this far better than they have here. But they just want that climax. That emotional climax and resolution rather than actually earning oh, it. You know that Discovery doesn't know how to do foreplay. Mmm. Yum yum. That's foreplay. Yum yum. And then the AI sausage is the climax. The ending reveal is serious, and you know it's serious because they play Shredder's theme from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. (laughs) You know it's serious because they play the Saturday morning cartoon ominous revelation music at the end to let us know that it can move on its own. Okay. Oh, no, the anomaly is not just an anomaly, it's a thing. I really don't like this. And I I figured out a reason. Oh, wait, is this meant to be a big deal? Yeah. Black holes don't just move randomly. Yeah, like they, they don't just change direction. But it's like you're in a sci-fi world where anything is fucking possible. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. a, a why kid, a kid screams so loud that the universe died. Yeah, like and we've had one episode to grapple with the idea of this anomaly that's barely been introduced, and we get a half-assed fucking hypothesis. For what it is, and then all of the data shows that it's not that thing. So it's like, oh, okay, it changed direction. Yay. Right. It's just like, what do you mean? Like, when um, you get more information about Vija mm. in the motion picture, the motion picture that means something. Here, it doesn't feel like it it means anything. Yeah, I understand what you're getting at here, and uh, I think there's a couple of things at play. One, 
we've seen this note be played for four seasons in a row. Mm-hmm. This kind of revelation, this kind of reveal, this kind of, oh no, the threat is more of a threat than we thought it is. So after four seasons of it, you're a bit bored of it because it's routine. Uh, one of the things I know from you as a viewer of Star Trek that is different to me, and we've yeah. hit upon this many a times, mm-hmm. uh, especially in our Make It Stop or Make It So adventures, is you don't have that suspension of disbelief as much when it comes to that criticism you just made of how come they react to this in such a big way when they've seen things much weirder and bigger than this. That's just a part of the suspension of disbelief you have to have with Star Trek, where why does Picard react astonished to anything when he's met Q? Like after Q and all of that, you shouldn't be really astonished by anything anymore. But it's a part of the narrative of these yes. genres. You yes, have it to would accept be very it. boring if, mm-hmm. you know... After encounters at Farpoint, Picard's just like, oh, yeah, whatever. It'll be fucking Q, whatever. It's probably, you know, it's not as weird as Q. Uh, so yeah, you just have to take it at the face value. Mm. But we're not taking it here at the face value because, well, if no, no, I'm going to retract it. This was the one moment in the entire series in which I actually felt something about the anomaly. Oh. It not destroying planets, like it destroying planets and it sucking things or it being a, a, a mining operation with a machine inside of it didn't not impact the fart me. Monsters. Not the fart monsters. Didn't impact me in that, ooh, kind of way. This actually did upon okay. the first watch. And if you had to uh, tell me anything that, if you had to ask me, What's the one moment of the anomaly being something of interest to you, Ryan? It is them discovering that it can move on its own. Because to me, that is a scary idea. This thing that you thought was just a random cosmic event actually could be something of sentience, perhaps? You don't know. It's so abstract and so alien and so bizarre, and you can't predict it. But they don't even really bring up the possibility no they don't but they leave that to you at the end to think about in the interim of time well if it changed directions is it being controlled in some way is it alive what is its deal we can't predict it the unknown questions we are are being proposed the things that you find in the final frontier uh and that is it struck upon me really well but when i was watching it again here the the dramatic music and the acting i I thought I was watching a Saturday morning cartoon, and uh, I don't know, is Discovery schlock to you? Like, we found it pretentious and dreary and miserable, but is this sh- is this show schlock now, or more so now? More so now, definitely. I feel comfortable saying that. I don't know if it... It doesn't consistently stay in the realm of schlock for me to say that it's schlocky. Mm. It definitely has its moments and its tendency is much more in that direction than it used to be. But I don't feel comfortable saying that Discovery is schlock at this stage. How about you? I'm wrestling with it. Uh, the answer is going, going to be yes, knowing where certain episodes go in the season. Yeah. But yeah, here, that, yeah, I'm, on my that. rewatch at this stage, I'm wrestling with it. I, I, I go, mm-hmm. why is what is stopping this from being any other generic 
sci-fi show that has bad tinting and mm-hmm. lens flares that I can watch. That is schlock. You know what? I will. I will give some credit. I will give a, a minor bit of praise. Uh, it didn't make me motion sick. This episode, mm-hmm. we do have a lot of spinning. The, in, the inside of the nebula made me almost have an epileptic fit. It didn't make me nauseous. It hurt my because eyes. Because of the visuals. So. Uh, oh, well. uh, yum, yum. From Rachel. Yum, yum. Hear that, people? Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, I'm sorry, Rachel. Don't... I played the sound effect already. That was a yum, yum from you. We're not retracting that. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Of course. Huda first. We please. have to get to the most important section of the show. I mean, of our, of our private uh, channel uh, discussion. Uh, Hugh Colbert is a character in this series, and we like to look at what he's up to in each episode, what role he serves. He's in multiple scenes, and he has dialogue Mm. in all of those scenes. And he smiles and nods in all of those scenes, too. That doesn't go away, bro. No. Never goes away, never washes off. Mm Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Uh, okay, what did you think? Hugh Colbert, they gave him more yeah. here than last episode. Yeah. They're building stuff like, with him oh, as well. You're getting to be maybe a character one day. When you grow up, you might be a character. <laughs> might be, might be. Yeah. You're uh, getting some characteristics. Mm-hmm. For some reason, they're deciding that you're... The counselor. Well, they heard us last season talk about that, and uh, they listened, and they said those yum yum people—they may blast our ass, but they actually had a good idea there. I don't know what's changed with them. What I think has happened is obviously they've listened to the people go, "Hey, why is Hugh Colbert such a like minor minor character in this?" What I wonder is if the writers actually spent time with the cast this season. Because from the little I've seen of the cast in interviews and on their social medias, they the characters feel more like the cast themselves. Yeah. And it can be for negative purposes or positive. And here it's for positive. Like, for instance... Uh, J. Michael Straczynski, when he did Babylon 5, he would sit in on the lunches and listen to the cast members talk and draw off of them as well to put stuff in the scripts and abide by, and, and bring that into their characters minorly. Wilson Cruz is given not more to do dialogue-wise or plot-wise here, but he is a stronger characterization here. And I, and it comes across to me that the writers have actually spent time with Wilson Cruz and put elements of him into the script for him to play with like that scene with him and Tilly at the end didn't feel like Hugh Colbert whatever that nebulous character is it felt like Wilson Cruz giving advice friendly advice and being just like a cool dude he Mm -hmm. comes across as a cool dude have you ever heard, heard me actually say any of these type of things about Hugh really no he was minimal here but Wilson was given stuff to do in the acting realm. And I got a vibe off of him that he's just this really cool, nice dude. More so than just a smiley guy who's there to support others. Even though he's still functioning that as that in the script, there's an attitude given to him here that has been sorely, sorely lacking in the last few seasons. And 
I know that they actually grow this and actually let it blossom in the season more. I mean, how do you? I mean, what do you think about all of that? Are you seeing any of this here? Yeah, is this yeah. Notable to you? Yeah, I I see it, and it is weird that you know, with the advantage of this being a rewatch, we can say that it does go somewhere. Like they could have done a lot more with it, but they do more than the bare minimum with Hugh in this season, mm. and I really appreciate that. He has chemistry with the other characters, not just actors, characters. Because in the previous seasons, he always came across as this guy from another place who is also here to he interact. He just stepped in. Yeah, he just stepped in. Here, when he's talking to Tilly, even when he's talking to Paul... He feels like a member of the crew much more. Member of the crew within the narrative of the show... And within the production, it, like it comes across to me that everybody knows Wilson Cruz, and they know how to just kind of bounce off of him. Never got that vibe in any of the other seasons. Because let's be real, a part of the enjoyment of these ensemble shows of of, of Star Trek is not just the, the the connection between the characters, but the perceived connection we have of the cast members. Like Jonathan Frakes and Brent Spiner. Off screen and on screen seem to have a really fun yeah, chemistry, yeah, and it shows in the shows itself. Same with like, uh, uh, you know, we can go on and on. There's so many examples in Star Trek. Obviously, Shatner and Nimoy they had a complex relationship and dynamic, and you mm. see it, you see mm-hmm. that you in the show. It. It's just something that you can't write. No. And, that has finally come to blossom with Wilson Cruz and the other cast. Like, at no point have I ever genuinely believed the relationship between him and Stamets because I don't think the actors have really had that much chemistry before because it's felt artificial. Here, it's not genuine enough for me, yeah. but I do feel like Wilson Cruz has chemistry with with Anthony Rapp. I don't feel like Anthony Rapp has chemistry with Wilson Cruz, but... uh. That's all I've really got for you on Hugh. They're positioning him to be the counselling role, the guy that everyone can confide trust in because I guess they can. Yeah, but we actually have something to say about Hugh, mm, which mm. is more than a lot of the Hudars have been, including the last one. Oh, let's see where the next episode goes. But what do you rate this on our immaculate scale in our private uh, channel of yum being bad and yum yum being good? There's no half yums, not even on the private channel. Yum. Yum. Look, I'm talking a lot of negatives on mm-hmm. this, and um, it's because... Do you give it a pity yum yum? Is that what you're leaning towards? <sighs> it's weird because... No, I'm not. I'm going to give it a yum. Yum. Judging it from the previous episode, I'm like, which one did I like less? And I think this one is structurally more tight, but mm-hmm. it's doing nothing yes. instead. While the other one was messy, but it had things yes. just spewing out of it all the time. Like, I yeah. could tell you that there were plot I things. I still disliked the first one more. Yeah, I'm 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 unsure of which one I disliked more. Probably the first one more. Yeah. It made me kind of but this one made this one me bored, bored and tired. Me. That one annoyed me. Are you ready to hear what we'll be watching next? Let me suffer. No, no, it's choose to live. 
season four, episode. No, you're three. letting me suffer. No, 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 Rachel. Please choose to live. Uh, Burnham and Tilly hunt the killer of a Starfleet officer as Stamets and the science team race against the clock to prevent the anomaly from killing anyone else. Uh, this is rated a five point three. Same as uh, this episode, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, both are 5.3. Uh, that is all we've got here on the private channel, Rachel. <laughs> are we ready to open up the channel to the public again? Yeah. Uh, okay, Bryce. Oi, Bryce. Bryce. Uh- no, no, Reese is on shift. Oh, was it Reese? I'm pretty sure. Oh, it was Reese. Sorry, sorry, Bryce. Bryce, you're off shift. What's that? You're hanging out with David Cronenberg for some fucking reason this season? And we don't know why. Okay, go back to hanging out with acclaimed director David Cronenberg. Uh, Reese, sorry, Reese. Hey, Reese, could you stop kite surfing? Oh wait, he can't hear me. I'm in the private channel. How do you get out of the private channel when you get another person to put you in it? Cause she actually signal signal. Okay. Oh, thank you. We're no longer in the private channel. Oh, phew, thank God. Rachel, where can people find uh, us on the internet? But we do this at the end of the show. Oh, we'll edit it together. We'll, we'll put this part at the end and we'll make a whole new... We'll record our episode, do a full, like... Oh, that's right. ...public discussion. We'll sorry, record this and sorry, drop this I in forgot, at the end. No, know. I forgot that you wanted to, like... Pre-record the plug section, yes, just so that we yes. can so we can stitch it all together. Yeah. Don't have to worry about it. This is all. This is all uh, uh, behind the curtain magic of how podcasts work. Uh, I mean, these guys—they don't even know that we just had a full-fledged discussion about the episode, but because we're on private channel. Oh, sh- sorry. You know, I'll know about the private channel unless uh, you're one of the hosts or you join you're our hacked. Patreon. You hacked in. You hacked in, or you're a Patreon member. But no, no. Where can people find us on the internet? They can find us on various social medias under Yum Yum Pod or Yum Yum Podcast. And we conveniently have them linked in the description of this episode. We are always posting on there talking about uh, Star Trek and Babylon 5 and other various science fiction, television, and media. So if you're wanting to keep up to date and see some funny things and engage with us, Ryan makes follow good us. memes for our yeah. social media. I try, I try. Uh, you can email us directly at yumyumpod at gmail.com if you're so inclined. Make sure to subscribe and follow us on whatever podcatcher you use. We have a YouTube as well if you're one of those people who like to listen along on there. And we also have some bonus video content. We put up some trailers and videos of bonus varieties of things that we watch and things that we find amusing. Amusing. Rate and review us as well if you have the means to do so. If you're on one of those ones that don't allow you to do it, turn it off. Go over to Apple or Spotify or Podchase or Podcast Addict. Give us a five-star rating and review, or as we call it, yum yum, <laughs> rating and reviews, and uh, it, we would like that very yeah. much so. And if you want to show your appreciation in a different way, you can join up to the Patreon. Oh, we have a buttload of content. All of it yum yum, of course. X-Men movies, Star Trek movies have been covered, okay? 
old Star Trek, or the best and worst episodes, we've talked about them. We are giving our thoughts on numerous pieces of media, whether it be TV shows, movies, podcasts, games, all of it is on the Patreon, and if you join it, you get to be a part of a group Discord and join in on the fun of talking about Star Trek, talking about Warren Kefra from Babylon 5 and why I should apparently think he's actually a good character, even though I think he sucks, but you can try and change my mind. Uh, Patreon, Yum Yum Podcast, all of this is in the description. As stated, Rachel, it's over now. Thank you. You have been set free. You can go now. Run off into the woods. Run, run, little one, run. Bye-bye, bye-bye, bye-bye. Bye-bye, 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 bye-bye.